0: Hi, really good to be joining you today. My name's Aaron. I'm married to Amy. I have a little baby boy called Joshua who's almost six months old and I lead a local church out in Oxgangs. It's a church that was planted out of Central. So I was previously on staff for a number of years at Central and planted this new church a few years back with a group of friends in Oxgangs. And so. We, like you guys, uh, are trying to figure out how do we keep meeting together online, how do we keep trying to serve our local community, Um, and I'm really excited today to come and continue this series that you guys are in, thinking about the person of Jesus and how Jesus brings hope, how Jesus brings hope to people in, in the gospel stories and in these different encounters he has with people, but also how Jesus can bring hope into our lives today, because we need hope. I don't know how you feel this morning as you listen to this, but uh, but I know that I, I need the hope of Jesus in my life. And so without further ado, we're going to jump straight into a story that shows us something of today, his hope. Uh, so Luke chapter eight is where we're going to go. And rather than read it all and then pick it all apart, we're just going to kind of read a bit, explain a bit, read a bit, explain, and kind of go through bit by bit. And then wrap up at the end and so that's where we're going today let's start in Luke chapter 8 verse 26 and so context Jesus is with his disciples in a boat sailing across the sea of Galilee and then we read this in the story they sailed to the region of the garrisons which is across the lake from Galilee so let's just stop already um a little bit more context a little bit more understanding of where they're going and what they're doing here Jesus has spent his early ministry predominantly on the northeast coast of the Sea of Galilee. So in the fishing villages, in the towns there. And now he's taking his disciples across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a place where he's not been with them up to this point. This region, the Gerasenes, uh, is also called the Decapolis because it's a collection along the far side of the Sea of Galilee of, of a number of 10 cities that are along the coast on this opposite side of the shore. And in many ways, it's the wrong side of the lake for a group of young Jewish men to be. It's a land that was originally promised by God to Israel. And then uh, they didn't drive out the Canaanites from this part of the land. And so it was still occupied. And now it's actually a Roman occupied region. So there's a different culture, different practices, different gods. They're really by crossing over to the other side, they're crossing into a different world and there's a tense relationship. Maybe we wouldn't see it immediately if we are just reading this passage, but actually there's a tense relationship here and and maybe a nervousness from the disciples in what they're going to find on the other side. It's actually rumoured, and maybe this is true of lots of places, but it's certainly rumoured that the, the Decapolis, this region that Jesus is now taking his disciples, is supposed to be Uh, where the prodigal son ran away to spend his inheritance on wild living. This is the place that you go to if that's what you're looking for. And so Jesus's disciples up to this point have lived a fairly sheltered life. They've they've been fishermen or, or worked in little villages, and they've never likely been across to the other side. Maybe they've heard stories about it. Maybe they even fear it, and they don't know what to expect when they land on the other side. for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Let's just stop there again for a second and imagine this from the disciples' perspective. So they've crossed over to the other side, an unknown and feared place to be. The wrong wrong side of the tracks, so to speak, the wrong side of the lake for these disciples to be. And they meet a man who, who approaches them. The first thing that happens, they step ashore. The man is naked so for the disciples there's deep shame in that not just that there's you know not just in being naked but actually in seeing somebody who is naked that's a shameful thing to have seen the second thing is the man is violent so he'd been chained up but couldn't be subdued the language that's used to describe how the local people dealt with this man is the same language that they would talk about you know to tame a wild animal that's what's been happening in this man's life. That's, I guess, the violence that that kind of fills this man's life. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And then at the top of his voice, he shouts, what do you want with me, Jesus? That that was just quite intense, me saying it to you on camera, but imagine being there in that moment. And this man is, is naked and violent and he falls at Jesus' feet and he shouts, what do you want with me? Jesus. It's an intense moment. And the man is unclean. So he lived amongst the tombs and in Jewish law, someone who touched a tomb was made ceremonially unclean. So he isn't just possessed by one demon as well, but a legion of demons. Legion was a Roman military term to kind of describe a group of 5,000 soldiers. And so there's a lot happening here. The disciples have got to be thinking, why has Jesus brought us here? Why have we risked crossing this expanse of water to arrive in this place to then meet with this man? Well, the story continues in verse 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside on the kind of steep banks that lead back down to the lake, the Sea of Galilee. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Again, pause. Why does this happen? You're thinking, I love bacon. What was Jesus thinking? What's this about? Well, actually, There's lots of clever, symbolic things happening that might offer some explanation to what Jesus is doing here. So let me suggest a few for you. Maybe, maybe this is what's going on. So demons, the demons are called legion. That's the name they give for themselves. And and so we know this is a Roman military term. And the mascot, because apparently they had mascots for legions, the mascot of the Roman military in the region of the Decapolis was a wild pig. So maybe Jesus is actually hinting at the desire to cast out the Roman oppression across the whole region. Maybe that's what's being hinted at here. Maybe maybe this is Jesus making a point about the value of a man's life. Like look how much more it seems this man's freedom is worth compared to the lives of these pigs. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, we read the same story and it describes that in detail that there are 2000 pigs on the hillside. And so Jesus is maybe saying something about the, the, the worth and the value of this man's life. Or maybe it's a challenge. It's a challenge to those who would who would view more highly the profits they could make from the pigs, the owners of the pigs and the value that these pigs had to them, which maybe is worth more than the life of this man. And, and perhaps Lastly, the most obvious reason that Jesus does this and that this happens is to just show that the demons had left the man and been dealt with. Like they're they're no longer in this man because they're now in the pigs and the pigs are drowned. And so we pick up in verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened because you would, wouldn't you? You'd have to go and see what this was all about. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. They found him sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. So all the people come out to sea. And what do they find? Well, they find the man that no one could tame, sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting with the posture of a disciple, sitting at the feet of a rabbi. The man's life has been transformed and he's become a follower. He's become a follower. Unrecognizably transformed and, and you know it's amazing the difference. You know, the local people hadn't even tried to help the man. their response had been, let's try and try and chain him up and protect ourselves. but Jesus shows a different kind of power and they're actually afraid. they're afraid of what Jesus can do. Maybe they're afraid of what else Jesus might do. Maybe they're afraid of what it will cost them what they might have to sacrifice if Jesus is gonna go around setting people free. Maybe they're worried about the profits they could lose. Maybe they think, we've only got so many pigs here. Jesus, you have to leave us. And so they send Jesus away. They ask him to leave and he gets back in his boat. But not before we finish with these final verses in this story. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And so that's our story. Jesus and his disciples, they travel to a place where they have no business being. They have this single encounter with this man. And then they get back in their boat and they return home. Why? Why does this happen? Why does Jesus do this? What is he trying to teach his disciples through this? What are we to take away from this? I think the answer is, is maybe a simple one. I think this is a story of hope. I think this is about hope. I think Jesus does this to show how far he is willing to go to bring hope to one man. See, Jesus is interested in going to the places of darkness where no good Christian would ever want to go. Later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus is asked, why do you embrace Jesus? Those who are on the outsides of society, why do you eat with sinners? And in response to that, he tells a parable about a shepherd, a shepherd who leaves behind 99 sheep to go after the one sheep that is lost. And here is that idea in living evidence. Here is that story in action in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't see a naked, violent, unclean man. Jesus sees a lost sheep in need of rescue. The local people, well, they see a threat to be chained up and locked away. Someone to be dealt with. The disciples, they see an, unt- an untouchable man. You know, they're terrified, probably, by what, what's happened here. But Jesus sees the man that God made. I love that about Jesus. I love that, that Jesus looks beneath the oppression and the brokenness. I love that in this moment, Jesus doesn't recoil. He doesn't, you know, edge away out of the scene with his disciples. He doesn't do that. He doesn't judge. He doesn't condemn. He enters in and he brings healing and freedom and hope. That's what Jesus does. He enters in and he brings healing and freedom and hope. Just an aside for a moment. This has some serious implications for followers of Jesus. Like If you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you're hearing this story, then this has some serious implications for you. Let me share just one that is maybe relevant to our moment just now. The temptation at the moment is for self-preservation. And this is completely understandable and completely reasonable. We're in the midst of a global pandemic, there's there's so much going on, Uh, there's so much fear and anxiety. The temptation is we'll just keep our heads down and look after ourselves. If I can just get through, if we can just get through this stretch, keep our heads down, look after ourselves, look after my, me and my household. Let me just try and create a safe space where I can get away from the world. Let me just cr- try and create a comfort zone amidst the chaos. That's totally understandable. But the way of Jesus is always outward looking. It's always others focused. So for followers of Jesus, there's never a time where we forget about the vulnerable. There's never a time where we don't consider what it's like for those who are isolated. In fact, especially at moments like this, we need to consider what does it look like for me to step out and reach out? Jesus asks us to go to the people That we don't feel prepared to reach but that he longs to reach. So that's just an aside, that's just one of the implications in this story for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Going back to the story, I meet people all the time who think Jesus just isn't for the likes of me. You know this idea that I have to improve myself before Jesus will have me. I'm too far gone right now or or you just don't know what I'm into or how unclean I feel. This story shows us Jesus specializes in unlikely people. That's really the main thing as I was praying for you, as I was considering what to share today. The main thing I think that that's the truth in this for us is this, you can't imagine the distance that Jesus is willing to go to be with you. You just can't imagine. He calls you his beloved. He longs to be with you. Jesus isn't interested in, in you for what you can do for him. And actually, he doesn't come to us only in our best moments or the times when we're ready, prepared and feel worthy. He reaches out towards us when we feel unworthy, when we feel helpless, when we're alone. And he doesn't just come alongside us. So Jesus absolutely reaches out to this man, but he also has the power to set the man free. That's why there's hope in this story, because Jesus can bring transformation. We all have times in life when we need hope. You know, maybe you you, you find yourself asking the question, you know, is there a God who can rescue me? Maybe you're not asking that question. Maybe actually, as you hear me say this, um this doesn't resonate right now. And and what I would just suggest is save this idea for later. Like, just take what I'm saying, keep a hold of it, put it in your back pocket. There, There will come a day when you wonder, you know, I feel stuck. I feel helpless. I feel lost. You know, is there any way out? Is there any hope for me? If that's you today, then this story hopefully connects with you where you're at. And if that's not you today, then save it for another time because we all have those moments of despair. This story comes actually in Luke's gospel in the middle of a series of stories that show Jesus's power and authority. So Zach spoke about Jesus calming the storm. And then today he he delivers the demon-possessed man. And then the next story that we get to in Luke's gospel, Jesus raises Jairus's daughter. He performs this amazing resurrection. Jesus is showing in this trio of stories that he has power over nature, over evil, and even over death. Nothing is beyond his power. The resurrection of Jesus stands as this this moment in history that proclaims for all time and to all people that nothing is beyond his power. Maybe you need to hear today that Jesus is more powerful than your present circumstances. Jesus is more powerful than your present circumstances. Jesus has power to bring freedom to the parts of your life where right now you just feel stuck. In fact, Jesus said of himself, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he said. In other words, he has authority. He can reauthor our lives. That's the power that he has. He can take the pen of your life and literally rewrite your life. So the demons, well, they wanted to dehumanize and enslave and make this man unclean. And in this moment, in this encounter, Jesus snatches the pen away and he reauthors the man's life and he writes in place of being dehumanized there will be dignity where the man is un- enslaved there will be freedom where the man is unclean there will be healing and purification and that's why this story is so beautiful i wonder for you today you know if Jesus can reauthor your life, what do you want him to do for you? Is there anything in your life, any part of your life that you want Jesus to transform? Because he has the power, he has the authority to re-author. The story in this man's life is he he goes from, from living amongst the dead in the tombs to a new life in the kingdom of God. That is a pathway. That is a story that can be true for each of us today. And so I want to finish by telling you what happened next in the story, because as we left it, the people were afraid of Jesus. They sent Jesus away. They couldn't afford to lose any more pigs. Jesus gets back in the boat. He sends the man and he says, go and tell everyone what I've done for you, what God has done for you. And it says the man went and did that. And then Jesus is back in the boat. They go back and they return to the other side. Well, this story is also retold in Mark chapter five. And in Mark chapter six, it actually tells us the next recorded visit to this region. And it says this, when they had crossed over, so back to this region, they landed at Gennesaret, which is the name, uh, one of the places in this same region, and they anchored there. This time, see the difference. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So it seems like the demon-possessed man had told everyone what Jesus had done for him. To the the point that when they now arrive back in this place, word has got around and the people recognize Jesus. They bring the sick to him, they carry people out to him because they know this is the one who can heal you. Maybe the the stories, the rumors, the whispers had spread. You know, if he can rescue that demon-possessed man, Well, there's hope for you too you've got to see this Jesus and so I want to spread a rumor today what about if we just started to whisper this amongst ourselves what if what if Jesus can help that man and what if he can help you too I think if Jesus can heal this man if Jesus can transform this man's life then there's real and powerful hope for our lives too. Because Jesus is still transforming lives. This is good news today for anyone looking for hope. He is present. He is powerful. We just need to come to his feet. We just need to come before him. We just need to surrender to him and say, Jesus, I need your hope. Jesus, I want you to reach into my life. And so let's pray and finish our time together. And so Jesus, we thank you that you long to transform our lives in the same way that you transformed this man's life. Thank you that that this story shows us of your amazing love for us. That you would reach out to us not, not at our best, but actually in our despair. And that you will bring us, you long to bring hope to us. And so I just pray that really simply for those who are looking for hope today. Jesus, we ask for your presence and your power. For those who feel stuck and kind of recognize the need for transformation in their own lives, I pray the transforming power of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to usher in the presence of Jesus and to bring freedom, freedom and new life and restoration and healing and hope for each one. Amen.